Ecclesiastes 2. Today we're looking at verses 12 to 21. I had uh, John read down through verse 26 um, for the full context. I'm going to cover the first part of this today and, God willing, the the rest next week. Um, The title of today's message is Your Gravestone. Isn't that an encouraging sermon title? Of course, then we read this passage here and, and Solomon says, you know, everything I did, it's a, it seems to be a waste. I'm going to leave it to somebody. We're all going to die. Amen. Praise the Lord, right? And then I put at the top of your sheet there the sermon title, Your Gravestone. Well, um, you know that I enjoy going through cemeteries. But most gravestones include three pieces of information. Most gravestones tell who is buried there, their name the year that they were born, and then the year that they died. And that's it. Doesn't tell anything about their character. Doesn't say anything about what they did, their struggles, their joys. And more than likely, that's going to be our gravestone as well, won't it? I thought about putting this as the sermon title, (laughs) Daniel A. Greenfield. 1969 to 2000 question mark. At some point in his reign, the king of Israel, Solomon here, wrote this book to help us see how to make sense out of life in a sin-cursed world. Making sense out of life in a sin-cursed world. He started off in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, And he began by seeking, what ultimate advantage does man have under the sun in everything that he does? That's verses 4 through 11, in everything that he does. What ultimate advantage does man have in wisdom? In verses 12 to 18 of chapter 1. Last week we saw in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. What ultimate advantage does man have in every possible activity? I mean, he... He covers just about everything that one could be, do, and experience in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And his assessment so far has been this. Apart from the Lord, those three key words there, apart from the Lord, trying to make sense of life in a sin-cursed world, trying to find meaning, trying to find purpose, when you try to find it in things of this world or yourself, it will always be baffling. It will always be frustrating. It will always be elusive. It just seems you're ready to grab it and then it's gone. Trying to catch wind. Remember, it's grasping after wind. And that's the idea of this word that's translated in our Bibles as vanity, which we shouldn't look at as a negative sense, but more of a, a, a just a frustrating question mark, a big enigma, a mystery. Is the And so we come to the chapter 2, verses 12 and following, is the meaning and purpose of life found in being wise? He says, first of all, in verse 12, then I turn myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For, who, for what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. We have to recognize, number one, if you're following along in your sheet there, That wisdom is better than foolishness. Wisdom is better than foolishness. 
And in verse 12 here, he's saying that he has, Solomon has, the conclusive answer to this question. He's got the answer. You don't have to go through what Solomon did. More than that, you couldn't. You're, you won't be as wise as Solomon. He's saying, I have thoroughly examined this question. Nobody could do any better than what I've done. So what is he talking about with madness and folly here? He's talking about foolishness, and that is living as if there was no God. That's what foolishness is. Now, anybody here confess that you're a fool? No, I don't think anybody is going to say, hey, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. But are there people who buy their lives, are there people here who live that way as if there was no God? Yeah, perhaps there are. Definitely in your life. And so this kind of a person, this foolishness, this madness, it looks at everything in life as if there was no God. Where did everything come from? How does it continue? How should we live in it? The events that are happening. It interprets these things in creation from my perspective, not God's perspective. That's what foolishness does. And that's something we can fall into, isn't it? Well, we forget God. Maybe not consciously, but we kind of revert back to how we lived as unbelievers. What is wisdom? Well, it's the opposite of foolishness. Wisdom is the correct and skillful application of God's truth to life. And God is who? He's the creator. And when you look at creation and you look at life from what God says, that means you're able to live wisely. Wisdom requires knowledge. It requires truth. And truth isn't something you feel. Ooh, I felt truth. Truth is statements. It is a declaration. It is given from God. It is who God is. And he has given it to us in the scriptures. Knowing what God's truth is. And wisdom, that ability to believe it and rightly apply it, that is a gift from God. Job 38, I think it's Job 38. Job says, where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. Solomon wanted wisdom, and so what did he do? He didn't go down to the, the dollar store. He didn't go to a, 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 higher, a place of higher education. He asked the Lord, give me wisdom. Because our sin prohibits us from rightly applying God's truth. Wisdom is a gift from God. Number two, wisdom has every advantage over foolishness. Verses 13 and the beginning of verse 14. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So uh, Paul, Solomon gives two examples here, two illustrations of the, the superiority of wisdom over foolishness. The first illustration is light over darkness. Light over darkness. Light excels darkness. Now, some of you might say, well, when it's dark out at night, I can make my way through my house. In fact, I kind of make it a challenge. You might say, I go down the steps. I know uh, there's 12 steps down, and then I turn left around the banister, and I know where things are, and, and then I can make my way and 
In fact, you might have made it a game at some point in your life where you close your eyes and try to make your way through just so that no light from the, the sun or the, the moon and the stars kind of affects you. Or the night light that's in the corner there. Uh, but you, I know where everything is. I got this down. You know it without a doubt. Well, have you ever missed a step? Did you ever get too close uh, to the, the leg of a table with your bare toe? And then you say, praise the Lord. That hurts, doesn't it? Especially when it's the pinky toe. Have you ever stepped on a toy that your brother or sister or that your child left there? And you say, praise the Lord. Or your cat, who just happened to be lying there. And the cat said, praise the Lord. Light has definite advantages over darkness. Well, you might say, I still know where everything in my house is. Okay, let's put this into practice. Let's really test your ability to, to see well in the darkness. And let's take you, and uh, uh, Brother Trace is going to go up to Alaska in a few weeks to visit his uh, son and their family there. Uh, let's take, we'll send you a Trace, and we'll blindfold you. And he'll take you, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 miles into the bush. I have a good friend from college who lives there in Alaska, and that's what they would do for fun, is they'd travel back 20, 30 miles to go hunting. We're going to leave you there in the dark at night in the cold because he's going in December. And you hear sounds hear the wind blowing through the trees. You start to hear, ooh, and your skin tingles. Well, it was already tingling because you're freezing. You start to hear pitter-patter through the woods. How do you feel about the darkness now? Send me back to sunny Ohio. Light is better than darkness. And his point is, wisdom is better than foolishness. He gives a second illustration of how wisdom is better than foolishness in that you have eyes to see. And he's talking about uh, perception here. He's not really talking, he's not talking about physical sight. He is talking about the ability to correctly see life as it ought to be. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Being sighted is better than being blind. Are you enjoying autumn right now? I mean, just look at out there. Isn't that gorgeous? We love it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. No, I wish I was blind so I couldn't see that. No. Try navigating your way home. If you couldn't see through a store or in your workplace, try reading. And you might say, got you there. I can learn how to read Braille. You can what to read Braille? You can learn. It is not easy. You can do it. But every time requires you to have the, the tact of your, finger, finger, your, your fingers to read that through. You can't just look at it. Look at this and read it like that. You would not be able to do that. Seeing the face of loved ones. Sight has a definite advantage over being unsighted or blind, doesn't it? 
Do you know any great hymn writers who were blind? Fanny Crosby. Take your burgundy hymnals. There's a hymn that we're going to be learning uh, eventually in, in uh, Ecclesiastes. And turn me to 645 in your burgundy hymnals. One of many Fanny Crosby hymns that are in this hymnal. Six hundred forty-five, saved by grace, and it begins with uh, a phrase: "Some day the silver cord will break." You might wonder, why did she start that way? It's from Ecclesiastes twelve, and it talks about how fragile life is. You would not make if you had to hold something or pull it. You wouldn't make it with silver. You'd make it something a lot stronger than that. And it's showing the fragility, how fragile life is. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now will sink. But all the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. And then what do we read in the refrain of this blind hymn writer? I shall see him. Why didn't Fanny Crosby say, I would be content in eternity to be blind? Because blindness is an effect of sin. And Fanny Crosby couldn't wait being blind to when she could finally see in eternity, I see his face. Sight has a definite advantage over blindness. And Solomon's point here, wisdom has a definite advantage over foolishness. Wisdom truly is better than foolishness. And yet he observed number two, Verses 14 to 17, he observed that in the end, both the wise and the foolish die and are forgotten. He observed that in the end, both the wise and foolish die and are forgotten. He says, number one, ultimately everyone dies. End of verse 14. Yet I perceive that the same event, death, happens to them all. Much of what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes is rooted in Genesis 2 and 3. Remember what God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19? Dust you are into dust you, you will return. In other words, you're going to die. You read in Genesis 5. The very first man, Adam, lived 900-some years, and then three words, and he died. The next man, and he died. It's a refrain repeating itself through the entire chapter, except for one man, Enoch, who was now for the Lord took him. Why does this happen? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This was another possible sermon title today uh, for the message. The other sermon title I thought about was Death, an Equal Opportunity Employer. Everyone gets hired by death because everyone does the wages of death and you get what you, 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 what you earn. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men to die once. And Solomon's point here, everyone, wise and foolish, ultimately dies. Let me give you some examples. Abraham was a godly man, wasn't he? 
trusted the Lord, followed the Lord, gave himself to the Lord. The first piece of land that he owed, owned was a cemetery for his wife. A godly man. Remember Achan? Joshua chapter 5 or so. He took of the forbidden things. What happened to Abraham? What happened to Achan? They both what? Died. Maybe David. David was a man after God's own heart. Lived a great life, godly life. Wrote the Psalms. Almost all the Psalms he wrote. The sweet Psalter, the sweet psalmist of Israel. But yet, what happened to David? The same thing that happened to Goliath. And who is more godly? And who is more foolish? David or Goliath? But yet, what was the end result? They both died. Let me get more personal. Norman Greenfield, my grandpa, who went to be with the Lord a year and a half ago, fought in World War II, was involved in the D-Day invasions, North Africa, was even in the Orient for a bit. He was in the Navy. He fought against the Axis powers. But what happened to my grandpa? He died, and you know what else? You know who else died? Adolf Hitler. Who's wiser? Who's foolish? Norman Greenfield or Adolf Hitler? Well, we know the answer to that, but what was the end result of both? Abraham or Achan? David or Goliath? Norm Greenfield or Adolf Hitler? How can you... Just making this, the statement that Solomon does, they, they all what? They all die. And ultimately, number two, everyone is forgotten. Verse 16, there is no more remembrance of the wise and of the fool forever. Since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Well, we're really getting personal now, aren't we? Isn't this encouraging? Not only are you going to die, everybody's going to forget you. And you might say, no, 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 no. We have history books. And history books tell us about what people did. It help us, helps us to remember that. Well, do history books tell you everything about the person? No. Nope. They do not do that. Histories only tell you what their successors chose to remember and what the historian tells you about. And there's no such thing as a neutral history. They always have a perspective. They're always telling you their interpretation of history. You only know about, well, Nebuchadnezzar or Caesar or Adolf Hitler from what we've learned from the historians. And the same thing will be true of you. You might say, well, I'm not really convinced yet. Okay, let's get real personal. Tell me about your great, 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 great grandmother. Tell me about her. Great, 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 great grandmother. I think most of you know your grandma, maybe your great grandma. I'm losing track of my greats there, okay? Tell me about your great, 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 great grandmother. Did she know the Lord? 
Did she know her Bible? Uh, what kind of a wife was she? What kind of a mom was she? You might say, well, I don't really know if she was a mom or not. <laughs> Just stop a minute here. <laughs> I'm glad you're paying attention. <laughs> Did she have any nuggets of wisdom? You might have some of these things. Does everyone know about your great, 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 great grandmother? No. Why? Because not only has everyone died, but eventually, because we live in a sin-cursed world, everyone is forgotten. Solomon also observed number three in verses 18 and 19. That furthermore, after you die, everything you accomplish is surrendered to others. Everything you accomplish is surrendered to others. Verses 18 and 19. He says in verse 18, Then I hated all my labor in which I toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. His point here, as I state there, is you can't take anything with you when you die. Just down the road from me on Park Street is the, was the house of uh, an elderly lady. She died a couple years ago. It's lime green. She used to have a pool in her backyard. I only know that because she told me about it. When she died. She had a son. And shortly after, she was anticipating that everything she had would go to her son. And guess what happened literally a month or so after she died? Her son unexpectedly died. And then where all this stuff go? I saw it the past two weeks. They had an estate sale. Everything put out. What would you give me for this? Will you take this for it? Everything that she had. And the only thing that I know about her is when I walk through the Orwell North Cemetery, I know right where her gravestone is and I See her name. I see the date she was born and the date she died. And all her earthly goods, they belong to someone else now. Everything that you accomplish right now, everything that you work for in this life is going to be left with those who live after you. Our world has a philosophy sometimes. He who dies with the most toys wins. That is one of the most foolish statements in life, isn't it? Think about the wealthy farmer that we read about last week. In Luke 16, verses 16 to 20, when the Lord said, Who will those things be which you have provided? All this work that you did, you die and you provided it for someone else. Isn't this a feel-good truth that we're getting today? All this stuff that you're doing right now, you're going to die and then it's going to be someone else's. You can't take anything with you when you die. And number two, in verse 19, he says, Who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I have toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. So number two, he says, there is no guarantee how your life's efforts will be utilized. You will do your best to entrust your earthly goods to someone that you hope 
will wisely use them. Several years ago, Trish and I finally took care of our will. Should we die and we still have stuff and we still have kids at home, uh, we have a will. We had to name an executor of that will. Which of the six kids jockeying for position to take care of those things? Who's going to get what, you know? And as I've shared, they all are uh, wanting certain books and things that we have along that line. Well, you do your best. You do your best to entrust all your earthly goods to someone that you hope will wisely use them. But once you're dead, guess what? There's nothing that you can do. Because you are dead. Think about, as an example, all the works, the efforts, the accomplishments that King David and King Solomon did. And then David's grandson, Solomon's son, Rehoboam became, became king. They established a world superpower in the span of 80 years by God's grace and mercy. Israel was a world superpower. And guess what Rehoboam did in a very short amount of time? He managed to accomplish a civil war resulting in the division of that nation and the weakening of it. One man, one man, blew it all. And Solomon then says here, I've seen that in the end, both the wise and the foolish are forgotten, and that after I die, everything I accomplish in life is surrendered to, to others. That brings us then to his conclusion to these things, number four. And you see by the verses I list that I have taken these expressions and put them in this way. Rather than tackling them as we work through the passage, this is his conclusion, that death and being forgotten makes wise living a frustrating, a frustrating experience and mystery. Because when your focus is on death, and when your focus is on being forgotten, and you think about what you did, and you think about all that you accomplished, number one, it will make no sense to you. Your blank is make no sense. When your focus is on you and what you've done and what's going to happen to you and to what's going to happen to the things that you've accomplished, it will make no sense to you at all. So he says, this also is vanity. You might say, what's with the squiggly little lines and dots that you put there? Well, you remember I gave you the Hebrew word that's translated vanity and it's spelled this way in English. Well, some of you want to still see it in Hebrew, so there you go. There's nothing that you're going to be able to do with it. You don't know your Hebrew consonants and vowels. will teach us. Trust me, learning Hebrew, it is a frustrating experience. I devoted years of my life to it. And I'm thankful for the skills and abilities I have with it. But it is hard sailing. But some of you wanted it. There you go. You have Havel there. If you want, see me at lunch, and I'll give you the consonants and the vowels and all that other fun stuff. You too, I guarantee it, will say, this is a frustrating enigma. This is hard to grasp. 
But back to the point, Solomon says, it will make no sense to you at all. Three times he says this. Does wisdom have every advantage over the fool? What do you say? Yeah, it does. Light over darkness, seeing over blindness. But yeah, Solomon says, when I think about the fact that all my wise deeds and efforts are going to be forgotten, they're left to somebody who knows nothing about them, and that's my focus, it makes no sense to me. Trying to make sense out of life from that perspective, it will always be a mystery, always be a frustrating thing. In fact, number two, it will drive you to despair. It will drive you to despair. Look with me now at verse 17. It will drive you to despair. He says, therefore, I hated life because the work which was done under the sun was distressing to me for all's vanity and grasping for wind. In verse 18, I hated all my labor. And verse 20, therefore, I turned my heart and despaired of all my labor in which I toiled under the sun. So when Solomon says, I hated life and I hated my labor, he doesn't mean it was a complete waste. He doesn't mean he was just suicidal and hated living. He's expressing pain, deep pain and frustration that situations can't be made better. He's expressing the hardship that comes with living in a sin-cursed world. It's hard. This is, emo is, is his emotional response to the painful, difficult, yea, even evil things in this world. Let me illustrate his frustration, his seeming despair, when he sees all this that was good, and he's focusing on that, and it just seems like, what was the worth of it? Many of you, I think, have heard of a godly missionary, Jim Elliott, who took the gospel to the Aka Indians. He had a young family. And he flew in. And what happened to Jim Elliott? He was killed. Young man. He would rather give his life for the Lord than waste it on nothing. And he died very young. On the other hand, and I hesitate to bring this up because I don't want to bring any bad memories. But on the other hand, you have a comedian by the name of George Burns, who in the 70s had a movie called Oh God, where he impersonated God, blasphemed God, and he lived a long, prosperous, wealthy life. Jim Elliott, George Burns, makes no sense to me. When that's our focus. It's frustrating. Sometimes I wonder, what is going on in this world? That's what Solomon is saying here several times. When I don't get it, it makes no sense. And I am just beside myself with this. Why is that? It's because you're living in a sin cursed world. So how should you view and think of everything that you devoted your life to? Well, that's next week's message.
and verses 22 to 26. But for now, we need to learn this point at the bottom of your sheet there. You need to learn this point that regardless of who you are, regardless of who you are, you will die. Regardless of who you are, you will die. So what are some conclusions and applications that you need to grasp and see? Number one, be wise. Be wise. There is every advantage of wisdom over foolishness. God's wisdom. Every advantage. Read Proverbs. Who wrote Proverbs? Solomon did. And dozens of times he says, seek wisdom. It only comes from God, so you must know him. You have to turn from your sin. You have to trust in Christ. You have to be born again so that you can have this wisdom. Skillfully apply it to your life. You need to know your Bible. You need to know that truth. You need to think like Christ. A passage that I've been meditating on the last few weeks has been a real encouragement and help to me in every way is Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. I'd encourage you to do the same. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. And you have kind of bookends there. And he says in verses 6 and 7, don't be anxious, but pray about everything, and then the, the peace of God will guard your heart and minds. And then he says in verses 8 and 9, whatever is true, right, honorable, noble, any virtue, any praise, think on these things and, and do what I tell you, and then the God of peace will be with you. Did you see that? The peace of God and the God of peace, regardless of the circumstance and the situation in life, you can know God's peace as you think like him and pray to him. That is wisdom. Hear what God says. Obey it. Pray. And remember, wisdom is only good. Only as good as you're living by that wisdom. Wisdom is only as good as you're living by that wisdom. What am I talking about? The box plant that I worked at in seminary, huge box plant. I worked on large presses. One of the presses that I worked on was fed by hand. And so we'd have these boxes. Sometimes they were small. Sometimes they could be as big as, let's see, um, I think the widest they could get would be 84 inches wide and 144 inches long. And I'd sling in those by hand into the press. It just kind of had a, a rhythm to it. Sometimes they'd be a little single wall, sometimes heavy. Triple wall, 50 pounds each. Those are fun. I really felt that. I'm setting up the press one day, and the, the company nurse came by, as she would often do, and she says, uh, give me a safety tip. I was not having a good day. I'm going to tell you right now. I was not having a good day. I was walking somewhat in the flesh at this point. Give me a safety tip. And so I looked at her and said, don't put your hand in a running machine. Remember this press that's running. Don't put your hand in the running machine. She was not too happy with me. Because that's a duh thing. But yet, guess what would occasionally happen to employees, folks? Employees would do what with their hand? Ooh, they see that thing coming in. It's bothering the press. They don't want to stop it because that stops production. 
production stops, your numbers go down, your numbers go down, your, the boss yells at you, so they, they try to get it out of there and they lose their arm. They knew better, but they didn't act on it. You know better, Christian, about a lot of things. But sometimes you don't act on that wisdom, do you? You know you shouldn't look at this. And you go ahead and look at it. You know you shouldn't do that. And you go ahead and do it. You know you shouldn't say that to the company nurse. But you went ahead and said it anyway. Number two. Things. That's your blank. Things are not the reason, purpose, and end goal of life. We need to learn that from what Solomon says here. Things have a reason why they exist. They have a purpose. And that purpose is to help you in your life for Christ. That's why you have a house, car, clothing, money. Keep going. These things exist to help you. And the moment that you forget that, you're going to be frustrated and you're going to get angry. God sovereignly, providentially entrusts things to you so that he can, so that you can live for him effectively. And we need to remember that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Be wise. Remember that things are not the reason, purpose, and end goal of life. Number three. Can you guess the blank? Everyone here will die. Everyone here will die. What are different responses to death? Everyone knows death is coming. So what are different responses that exist in our life today, in our world today, among people that you know about death? Some say, well, TGIF, or carpe diem, seize the day. That's Latin. This is just hedonism. Live for now. I mean, you've got to get it as much as you can. He who dies with the most toys wins. Some view death as something really cool and awesome. There's a lot that you can hear about this in different kinds of music and horror movies. And violence. Some even talk about a glorious death. What is that? Some could have the attitude of just get it done with and over right now. Take my life. Get it over with. Most unbelievers say it's just a natural part of life. There's nothing you can do. A fatalism. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what's the Christian? What should be the Christian view of life? The, or the Christian view of death. The Christian view of death recognizing, recognizes death is the result of sin. Death is the result of sin. It's a consequence of sin. The Christian recognizes that the only way to escape it is through Christ. The only way to escape death is through Christ. And we know we're going to die physically should Jesus tarry. 
But when I die, I know the moment I die, what did Fanny Crosby say? I will see him face to face. I know why we know why there's death. We know the, the cure for death. And we know that when we die, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We know from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 6 and 8 that we will be with him. We know from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, that because of Jesus' resurrection, O oh death, where's your sting? O oh grave, where's your victory? And Christian, when you have this right perspective of death, knowing that you will die, that enables you to look at the work of your life right now. It enables you to look at that and even consider your gravestone and what that, those three things will represent. And you know that because you are living for Christ, that though it will be forgotten by people, who will not forget your labor? The Lord Jesus will not. And when you see Him, He will say, what did you do? I forgot. No, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Christian, work hard. We'll see this next week. Know why people die. Rest in Christ. Live for him. Live for eternity. And know that when you do live for Christ, your life is not a waste. It makes sense because of your because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.